Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast. Welcome to the Word. Hello. There's a third voice here. There is. This is Scott Powell, Father Peter Muzzit, and... I'm Father Peter Muzzit. And Father Brady Wagner. It's the three lanky guys, which sounds like a burger restaurant, doesn't it? Oh, that's the three. That would be five, the worst burger restaurant guys. ever. <laughs> Dude, hey, welcome, welcome to the three lanky guys restaurant. Yeah. You will get no burgers that have anything good in them. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. The three chubby guys burgers. Dude, now, now we're talking. That's going to be a good burger. Yeah. Brady, Father Brady, we love you. Goodbye. We do love you. God bless you. Pray for me and all the... The old women. <laughs> you got it. That was a quick cameo from Father Brady, who's yeah. off to serve mass. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Dude, I just uh, want to welcome everybody and, and oh. give some shout-outs today. Yeah, and I had one as well, so please, because, you, you get started. Um, uh, today, uh, uh, the Driscolls gave us uh, some flaming Hot Cheetos, some Red Bull, and some Doritos. You bet they did. In, uh, in support of our terrible eating habits here, which I completely endorse and support. I'm, I'm loving it. Well, I'm genuinely a little surprised that Jan Driscoll would actually... Um, be an accomplice to our terrible eating the, habits. Well, dude, but she just loves the podcast that much. Yeah, but as a mom, I can't. I don't know. Yeah, we we eat pretty poorly. Um, no, just on the podcast, I think we eat fine. But whenever we do the podcast, we just for some reason choose to eat poorly. Dude. Anyway, I also have a so, uh, shout out to uh, to Julie Belfi okay. and Father Lukash. Who are friends of Lisa Goodhue from the Camino? Oh, and, cool! And so, what's up? They love the lanky guys. We love you. And buen camino to you. This mm. is like the best. Does and that then, mean good camino? Yeah, yeah, it means good camino. Good, good way. Good way. I mean, that's what we always say. And then I have another shout out. Okay. Um, to a high school youth group, Ecstatic, hey. in San Jose. Wait, the youth group is called Ecstatic, or yeah. they are Ecstatic? They're they're Ecstatic, spelled with an X. Oh, that's. Totally a high school youth group name. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah, dude. They are totally ecstatic and listening to the Lenka guy. Wow. In where? Somewhere in California? Yeah, yeah. In uh, San Jose. San Jose. Dude, so we got Utah. We got San Jose. We got Boulder. And um, I have a shout out as well. An army. Army. Okay. Yeah. I give a shout out to her. She Absolutely. hooked me up with some totally awesome stuff. Um, that motor oil over there? No, oh. no. Some Just looking at your desk. Your desk. Oh, yes, your desk does have motor from oil the and a distributor and, cap. And this like really cool, beautiful tray for That's holy awesome. items. So wow. like it was just there's so much love going on. Very cool. Very cool. So I'm sitting here and I'm looking at Scott Powell. And uh, yeah. really, are we going to go into this? Yeah, yeah. Is this really what we're going to do? It's, it's Scott has has a, a bandaid on oh his nose because we were f- uh, doing some drone flying, flying, flying. And uh, and I have a little drone, and I'm trying to like get good at flying it. And yep. so I handed the controls over to Scott. Classic mistake. And uh, Scott accidentally flew the drone into his own face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and, yep. and he had, his nose literally would not stop bleeding. No, nor would my chin or my cheek. I mean, I it was really a, a bloodbath around. Here. <laughs> <laughs> and I just took the guard off of it, so I actually feel terrible. There was there a was, guard on. Yeah, that? there was. Oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I, like, so I have a habit whenever I'm about to give a big talk in front of a public group or film something for someone, I tend to get injured in my face. So this is just keeping with tradition. I'm filming something for the Focus Ministry on 
Friday. So that's just what happens. The last time I filmed something with Focus, I got a big black eye skiing with you, actually. So, <laughs> do you see the trend? I do. Dude, Steve Baselli will appreciate this. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, this is what I love about you, though, Scott. Thanks. Is that you In advance. Um, are a risk taker. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, just a bad pilot. No, no, you're a risk taker, man. You you'll like you'll like step to it. You'll do stuff, but but the weirdest stuff happens to you. Yeah, no, that's true. And, that's absolutely true. And and yet you persist in your risk taking. I know you'd think I'd learn. Well, in the spirit of not learning from my mistakes, it is the fourth Sunday of Easter, <laughs> and our readings are, this are week. Are you saying that this is a mistake that you're doing this podcast? No, oh, no, cool. I can't find the connection there. I'm, I I thought there might be a connection, but I don't know. Okay. Anyway, First, I'm just trying to segue. I'm just trying to get the show on the just road. Just in man. case you're wondering, April 17th is the feast day of St. Stephen Harding. Boom. Which is weird. I don't even know who that is, but I no. I like um isn't there like a Bob Dylan song about Harding? Um John Harding. John Harding was a saint. I don't know. <laughs> That's my Bob Dylan Okay. Impression. Our first reading is from Acts 13:14:4352. Yeah, I I take issue with this. The the division of Verses in this reading, so we'll talk about that. There's got. Did you just throw a string cheese at me? <laughs> Come on, man. Be professional. Yeah, we'll talk about that. There's a big jump in this first reading, and I, I, I'm happy you're listening to the podcast because I think that what comes in between is very interesting. So anyway, there are responsorial psalms coming from Psalm 100, verses one through two, three, and five, and our responsorial itself is from verse three. See. Second uh, revelation is from the book of reading. And, oh, um, seriously. I know. I was just making a joke. Come I on. Know. This is like how people do it. No, it's funny. No, it's not how people do it. <laughs> <laughs> this is, the second reading is from the book of Revelation, mm. chapter 7, mm. verse 9, jumping all the way to 14b, 17. Very good. Very good. Our gospel, a very short little gospel. Did you hear? It was a few weeks ago, <laughs> and it was the gospel reading... And I, I don't know what was, I feel like some of the other readings were much longer, but it was a very, very short gospel. And Samuel was just in my arms and he said, my son, and he just said really loud, well, that was short. <laughs> I don't know if you could hear him. Uh-uh. Everyone laughed. <laughs> anyway, this is a real short one. It's John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. It's a shorty. So that takes us back to Acts of the Apostles. Dude, so I'm reading Acts of the Apostles. Okay. And, so there I am. Uh, so there I am. And I'm reading this thing. Yep. And Tell like. more. It's always amazing how many fights everybody gets into in the New Testament. There's a lot of fights. There's a lot of fights. Which, you know what? That's kind of comforting because I feel like you. there's a lot of fights right now in the church. Yeah. So it just tells us that it's always sort of been this way. Yep. We, the temptation is, is to always get flipped out over like, wow, everybody's confused in the church and this priest is saying this and that person said this and should I trust this one? Everybody's fighting and upset with each other and what's going on. But it's always been that way. It's never going to stop. For some reason, God put Jesus chose to put the church into the hands of sinful people like you and me. Well, not me, but you or, know, or human me. beings who just tend to mess it up all the time. But yeah. God chose to do that. And so one of the things I had to come to reconcile with myself when I got serious about my faith is that if we look around and feel like the church is just a mess, we have to reconcile the fact that it's God's mess. And right. he chose to have it that way for whatever reason. So, But yeah, you're right. I mean, people are always fighting in the church. And it is such as it is in the Acts of the Apostles. Now, it's tough because we actually don't... So here's where I'm a little frustrated, and I'm sure there's a reason for this, and I'm sure there is a pedagogy in how the church chose these readings. 
but it jumps over why people are fighting. It tells you that they're fighting, but it doesn't tell you why they're fighting. Right. And I think that's strange. So you just want to look at this passage. So it begins in Acts chapter 13. Chapter 13 is a pretty profound turning point in Acts of the Apostles. You can divide the book of the Acts of the Apostles both thematically and geographically. Okay. So, for example, at the very beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, when remember when Jesus appears to the apostles right before he ascends into heaven? He's, Go into Galilee. <laughs> Go and tell my disciples to go into Galilee. Wish you could see Father Peter's air guitar, which looks more like an air fiddle, <laughs> the way that you're playing it. Hey, you know, I'm I'm a rock star. What can I say? You are a rock star. Um, what what was I even talking about? You're talking Why about you the the things? apostles and disciples yeah, yeah, going, yeah, yeah, going yeah. to Galilee. No, I wasn't at all. Yeah, you not were even close. Too geographical. I wasn't. Situations. I wasn't talking about that. But but I was talking about geography. But at the beginning of the gospel, <laughs> Jesus appears to his disciples and says, he, "Go oh. into Galilee." <laughs> My gosh! Oh, I feel like these Cheetos have made you crazy. No, they really have, dude. Seriously, I am. Yes, the, the like, Cheetos have done it. The flaming hot Cheetos. Be careful of those. So at the beginning, right before he ascends, he tells his apostles their mission. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, or in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think this is chapter one, verse seven, maybe. Yeah. Which is actually very much the, the, um, how, if you go through the, uh, great Bible timeline, the great American bagel. The, timeline. I can never remember the great adventure, the great adventure, the Bible timeline, uh, they, <laughs> they go and they actually talk about how these are the stages of how the Acts of the Apostles are going to show us the evangelization of the world. Yeah, so you can literally divide the whole book of Acts of the Apostles on those three geographic areas based on where... So so I think it's the first seven chapters. They're the witnesses to the resurrection in Jerusalem. And that's what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks as they're on trial before the Jewish leaders and the Sanhedrin. We've been looking at those stories. Then in chapter, I believe, 8 through 12, they go out to Judea and Samaria. So Judea is what surrounds Jerusalem. What is and Samaria? Samaria is the the remnant of the northern kingdom. So remember when the the nation divided in half? Uh Um, You know, the two tribes stayed down south in Jerusalem, and the ten tribes founded their own kingdom in the north, which was eventually obliterated. Their own temple, their own priesthood, and and then, then they got, like, smoked. By Assyria. What's left is so their capital city in the northern kingdom was the city of Samaria. So Samaria became kind of shorthand for the northern kingdom. Samaria, by the time of Jesus, is basically what's left of the northern kingdom, who are, you know, in the eyes of the Jewish people, the ones who deserted their family and deserted the temple and the one true faith and all these things, which is why when you get stories like the Samaritan woman at the well, she's like, why do you have anything to do with me? Why right. are you talking to me? And the, the good Samaritan. Oh, Samaritan right? is Samaria. Yeah. Got it. I did so you're not like, make oh. that link. And it's not just that they're the, the other or the outsider. It's worse than that. You were our family members who betrayed us. That's what. That's why there's such animosity in the Gospels between the Samaritans and the Jews. I think sometimes actually people, uh, the reputation of Boulder is actually the same experience with that because there's a lot of people who end up coming to Boulder who are kind of black sheep of their family. Oh, interesting. And so they say, oh, Boulder, man, mm. that place is it's full of all the crazies. But all the, the crazies. But the truth is, is that there's like a lot of- Like you and me. Of... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Continue. 
there's a lot of amazing, interesting, wonderful people who are doing really creative, innovative things. But I think yeah. that I think that it's easy to write off this particular town yes. precisely because there's a lot of people who are trying to find their way, but but actually, but outside of where their families are. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, it's true. That's a that's a good insight. But jumping over that point in the geography, when we get to chapter thirteen, which is where we are now. That's when the mission of the apostles begins to go to the ends of the earth. And it's kind of a funny thing. So really, Acts of the Apostles spends the first 12 chapters talking about the mission of the church within predominantly Jewish areas. And you get the sense as you're reading through, nobody really was anticipating that the church would go out to non-Jews or the Gentiles or those people. I mean, we kind of take that for granted as Christians and we look back. And we forget that in the beginning, that was a pretty disputed opinion. I mean, there, there's no idea in the early, the earliest church that Christianity, which wasn't called Christianity until pretty late, that the idea of following Christ was anything other than just the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. Right. We are just being good Jews. Our Jewish Messiah has come. Right. It wasn't until later they realized, oh, wow, God actually wants us to go out to non-Jews as well. We didn't totally understand that. Yeah. So that begins to happen in chapter 13. This is one of the first instances of that. It actually begins in chapter 8 and 9, that scene when Peter, remember, goes up to that house of that guy named Simon the Tanner, and he sees the pigs in a blanket vision, the sheep yep. coming down with all the animals. That's when everything begins to kind of—Peter begins to be like, oh, God, you want us to go to those people right. too? This isn't just a Jewish thing? Right. But again, we kind of take that for granted in, in hindsight, you know? But this was a big controversy. This was probably the biggest controversy the church had. Which is why, idea, which is why uh, Acts 13 is such a demarcation line. It really is. Because it's this idea of them. You want to let them in? We want to extend mercy to those people, to these outsiders? They're supposed to be allowed into the family? This is, this is pretty difficult. Right. Uh, 13 is when we actually see it starting to happen. So it's in chapter 13 that Paul and Barnabas, remember they're, they're kind of tag team in this. Which, I mean, this is the story of the church from all ages. Yeah. It's this is the story the of the church of, of this age, of the Middle Ages, of yep. the early ages, the patriarchs. Like, yeah. like are we really going to go for those people? <laughs> that is that is the narrative of the church. And and still today, and there's all sorts of people in our own lives that were like, well, no, no, I, I love my faith and I love sharing it on Sunday and doing these things, but wait, God can't possibly be calling me to share it with that person or that guy at work or this person in the grocery store. You know, you this person that I see when I pick up my children from school every day. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was There's like, always that line of like, but not them. Yeah, it was like, um, uh, who was it? Walker Percy, I mm. think, who he in his conversion, it, uh, his family was like, that's where all the servant people go. Oh, man. So it, it's it's even the sense of of class system. Absolutely. Like, oh, you're gonna you're gonna violate class system. You're gonna violate the the kind of boundaries we're setting up in culture. Yeah. And engage with the church, and then the church can have all those experiences, yeah. both with its clergy and with its members. And, Absolutely. And so, but it's always gonna be totally messy and weird. This is the beauty. There's uh, the catacombs, the catacombs of Saint Calixtus in in Rome. The, the catacombs in general, but those are the ones I'm familiar with. There are, you can go to the catacombs in Rome, which is where the earliest Christian martyrs are buried. And the earliest Christians are buried. 
And it's it's amazing if you walk. Have you ever been to the catacombs? No, in Rome? I've been to Rome, but I have not been to the catacombs. You can walk through, and what I think was the most one of the most striking things for me when I went there is you would see, you know, these these little tombstones hem, you know, hewn into the walls in underground in the caves because they had to go into hiding, of like a Roman senator who was a believer, and then a poor peasant girl like right next to each other, and th- this was the revolution of the church of like, wow, this is a wealthy Roman senator. Buried literally next to a poor peasant girl because they shared the same dignity and the same faith. I mean, that that was profound. So the church got this. Yeah. It's it's a lot like this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You you get to actually be with me. Oh man. And And you know and what a what a thing that is. What a thing that is. (laughs) Whose royalty and whose peasantry we haven't figured it out yet. Uh, I think we have some idea. Anyway, uh, so, (laughs) (laughs) so so Paul and Barnabas, they begin, they're literally beginning this mission. So they continue, it says, they continued from Perga. They reached Antioch in Pisidia. I, I think it's, so this is minutia, I guess. <laughs> it's important that Acts points out to you that it's Pisidian Antioch, which is the Antioch that's in present-day Turkey. So if you were to look at a map in your little, if you have a good study Bible that has a map in it, there's actually two places that are called Antioch. They're Syrian Antioch, Antioch in Syria, which is going to become the headquarters of Paul's ministry. Mm. And everything begins and ends in Syrian Antioch. But then there's this other Antioch in a place called Pisidia. And Acts needs to point out, hey, they're different places. So any of you who are really students of the Bible, it's an important distinction. Yeah, yeah, pump to brakes. Paul's Antioch is... is, Anti-lock brakes. Oh, come on, dude. Wow. But but one thing to note, so this place that they're going, Antioch and Pisidia, again, present-day Turkey, it's in what we would call Galatia. So Paul's letter to the Galatians is written to these folks. This is their context. This is who Gal- they are. Galatia. So it's probably the most prominent political city in Galatia. So okay. the Galatians, right? Okay. It's a book in the Bible. It's in the back. <laughs> you've, you've heard of it. Shut, I was just trying to make a joke <laughs> out of it, and I couldn't come up with anything. I thought you were trying to remember. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what you were doing. Anyway, whenever okay. whenever Scott sees smoke coming out of the headphones, he's like, he's like, oh man, I got to I got to try to help this. I'll guy. say something smart. Okay, so anyway, so they're up in in Galatia. Um, oh gosh, there's so much I could say about this. You know, a, I heard that they're pretty slow moving up there. It's kind of glacial. Glacial. That was a stretch. Oh, I know. I mean, I was working. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So they're up in Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, it says they entered the synagogue and they took their seats. And many, okay, now this, I think I think it's this where the jump comes from verse 14 to verse 43, which is a pretty <laughs> big jump. Yeah. Like, sit down and we'll just keep going. Well, it, it's so funny. So it's the Sabbath day and, and, and Paul's missionary strategy, and this is really important. Paul's missionary, because Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. But whatever non-Jewish place that he goes, his starting point is always the Jewish population. Right. And, and that's a really good um, tool for evangelization. The idea of let's start with my own people, the believers. You know, you, you want to, you know... I remember when I worked for Focus, when I was a Focus missionary and I worked on a college campus, our first step was, hey, let's find out who the Catholic campus ministry is. Let's find out what they're doing and let's try to encourage that and we'll go from there, you know, and try to bring everybody in. Yep. So it's a really it's a really wise strategy. So he always goes to the synagogues first. So it's the Sabbath day. They enter the synagogue. They take their seats. And what we don't get, but what it continues on to say in the reading is... After the reading of the Law and the Prophets, <laughs> the rulers of the synagogue said to them, saying, 
Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So it's a custom in, there's a Jewish custom that if there's like a visiting rabbi or a visiting person that's relatively important, they would be invited to basically give the, what we would call the homily, right? After the readings are done, after the prayers are offered, somebody would give a homily. Right. Um, Paul, it's fascinating. I mean, people probably know who Paul is. Remember, he was a very big deal in the Jewish world. He was schooled by Gamaliel. He was one of the most important of the rabbis. Everybody yeah, like, that Paul kid, he was good. <laughs> well, well, yeah, they're like, oh my gosh, Paul, you know, Scott Hahn shows up in the congregation. Or say, here's the, I, I don't know if this is Robert works. Barron. I was just about to say, say Father Robert, B- Bishop Robert Barron shows up at Mass on Sunday, and you were like, do you want to give the homily oh, Absolutely. This I'm like, it's brother, that, show up. It's that kind of a thing. They're like, oh my gosh. That's how I take it. Right. So, and he, and, and again, what we don't get is he gets up and he's like, okay. And nobody knows what's coming. And he goes on from, from verse, you know, 16 until 40 something. He basically. And, and I like it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand. Like he, he, no, he just starts, he's like a hand talker, dude. He's a hand talker, which is good because remember he's actually not very verbose. He's not a very good speaker. <laughs> we know that's, yeah, that's yeah, what we know about. He's him. kind of polemic. Hello, here's the thing. He's good in writing, <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, basically he tells the story of salvation history. Remember, he's speaking to good, to good faithful Jews who know the story of scripture. So he's telling salvation history, and then he he brings in scripture, he brings in David, the Davidic covenant, and he's like, this is how, you guys might not have heard about this, but it's been fulfilled. Jesus, the Messiah has come, the Christ is here. You know, he, he goes he goes for it. Yeah. And and that's when we kind of pick up what where our reading comes from this week, which is basically everybody loved it. And they all latched on and they all wanted to follow him. And it says the following Sabbath, this is back in our reading, the following Sabbath, the whole city gathered. Number one, it actually shows you the influence that the Jewish people had in Galatia, that Mm. they were able to kind of spread the word and the whole city shows up. Everybody's like, this guy's good. Seriously, come on. But but the other thing, I mean, there's so much we could say, but the one thing I love about, one of the things I love about this, Mm -hmm. this really does just show the power of the gospel. It's yes. not just the Jews who are showing up. It's the whole city. They're like, oh, we want to hear. Again, you talked about Boulder before. This is one of the things I see about doing ministry in Boulder. If you have the truth, people want to hear it. Whatever background they're from, they just they want to hear it. And we as Christians underestimate that so often. Right. We're like, they're going to hate us. They're going to be mean to us. They're going to persecute us. They're going to do. And sometimes that happens. But the truth but is that they're just, longing for it. Just human beings long for the truth. They want right. to hear it. And that's what we're seeing here. And it's very, very beautiful. And they're showing up. And they're like, oh, tell us more. And it's an interesting line. More, it says, tell me more. Did you get very far? It's in verse 45. It says, but then the Jews saw the crowds and they were filled with jealousy. Luke is making a very clear distinction. And John does this too. When they say the Jews, they're not talking about the Jews because remember the whole congregation. They're all in the a Jewish, synagogue. They're in a synagogue. We're talking about the leadership, right. the people in charge, the powers that be, right? They're ticked off. The man. The man. And it says they contradicted what Paul said and they, they you know, they were mad. And then, you know, Paul goes on. They say it was necessary that we spoke. He tells the pedagogy. We needed to come to the Jewish people first because Christ came through us and the covenants. But- 
It is through us that all of the world is supposed to hear this. And it says the Gentiles rejoiced in this. And they're like, this is great. Praise be to God for the Jewish people who gave us the Messiah so that we could enter in. I mean, it's this beautiful moment. And then we're, we're you know, the Gentiles were in delight, but the Jewish leadership, and, and they, there's all sorts of undermining things. They're trying to get the women who are of prominence and they're misleading people and they're trying to undermine everything. And you see that it's trouble. Now, the one thing, one of the things I just want to point out, and then we can move on because we spent a lot of time on this first passage. This is such a direct mirror parallel of what uh, we see in the very first moments of Jesus' own public ministry. What's the first public thing Jesus does in the Gospel of Luke? Wine. No, that's John. Oh, Luke. That's John. Um, Luke. I don't know. He preaches in a synagogue. Remember, he goes to Nazareth and he gives a homily. He's invited as the guest speaker to give a homily in his home synagogue, which is exactly what Paul does. I mean, Paul again, Luke is very purposeful about what he's showing you. Yeah, He's like, look, Paul is doing the same thing Jesus did right after Jesus gives that homily about the Jubilee year setting everyone free. They're like, this guy's amazing. But then what happens? Then he makes the comparison to a... No, I don't know. What do they try to do? So first people are excited, then they try to throw him off a hill. What's happening here? Paul speaks the word of Jesus. People are excited, and then they're basically trying to throw him off a hill. They're mad. But do Mm. you see the parallels of this? Uh Uh-uh. I'm just kidding. I really do. (laughs) You jerk. You jerk. (laughs) I totally do. But again, this this is the thing. Mercy is never terribly popular because we are a people who want justice more than we want mercy. You know? Oh, the idea that, no, this so is for true. you people as well. The leadership is threatened. No, the, the everyday folks, the Jewish people are showing up to the synagogue on the Sabbath and doing what they're supposed to do. You get the sense that they're like, this is great. Praise be to God. We want this. But the leadership is threatened by it. And this is our world, isn't it? Mercy is threatening. Dude, this is the thing is that like I, I like to read this and I would say, oh, man, I'd be totally chill. That'd be great. You want to hope that. But the truth is, is that oftentimes we react badly because yeah. we're all locked in weird power games. Yeah. And if my power becomes threatened, yeah, I get weird. Yeah. And like it's, 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 it's one of those things to where like if I can prepare my heart and actually take myself out of the stinking power game. Yeah. And actually get into the truth of what the gospel is, then I get free. Yes. And yeah. it's really, it's hard to do. And Paul's free. Remember, Paul, just to not be, to be clear, Paul was the power structure. He yes. was these guys. He Absolutely. was the one trying to kill the Jews. They, they were just putting their cloaks at his feet when they were killing St. Stephen. Yes, but now he's free. And what does his freedom look like? Paul never really has any power. Like, he, he's the leader and he's the founder of all these churches, but he's shipwrecked, he's sick, he's in prison, he has no home. I mean, Paul's a disaster, but he's free in that. Right. He's, and it's very beautiful. Yeah. And then we, that takes us to the psalm, which is this great line, we are the people, the sheep of his flock. Oh, who are the people? Well, the people who he calls. And who does he call? Sometimes it's the people you don't want him to call. Sometimes that's the people that you really don't want to be sitting next to in the pews. But God calls who he wills. And it says, sing joyfully to the Lord, all of you lands. God longs for all the peoples, not this particular ethnic group or this particular faith group or this particular people who are, you know, adherents to this or that. I mean, God wants, you know, God wants all people to be Catholic. That is the fundamental reality. He wants all people in the church. Even the Everybody. people that you hate, he wants them at mass sitting next to you in the pew. 
Absolutely. That's what his greatest desire is. That's what this psalm speaks to. This uh, Psalm 100 tends to come liturgically at the end of what's often called the invitatory at the, in the, in the, the morning uh, yeah. prayers. Because if we understand the praises that we're offering him, this should be our logical conclusion. Okay, so bring all people into this. This which is, is what we should want. Which is what we can do in our hearts is we can pay attention to who we are experiencing negativity towards. Yeah. And oftentimes it's actually precisely those people, that that reality in our lives that the Lord is actually trying to get us surrender, to Almost surrender. always. It. So you say like, oh, I'm just so angry at wealthy people. Yeah. I hate wealthy people. And, right. and it's like, well, actually, you're just, maybe the Lord actually has something for you in the midst of wealth. Yeah. Or maybe I hate poor people. Yeah. And I, I hate fat people. I hate skinny people. I hate attractive people. I hate ugly people. Like, like I'm exper- I can experience all these negativities, and the Lord is like, don't even get into that because I'm calling all people to myself. And I hate I'm people actually with drones. Drones who cut my nose. Cut my nose, dude. You're the driver of the drone. Yeah, I know. I really Shoot. wish I was driving the drone because then I could actually feel bad. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, but you can't. I can't. I just Ha-ha. have to. I just have to like laugh at you. Thanks, man. You're welcome. So that's a great segue into the book of Revelation. <laughs> Which, yes, it is. No, but you're, you're, yeah. We we had to edit a bunch because I have gotten a case of the giggles. <laughs> yeah, we all have the giggles in here. But I, I want to read this. So there's one thing that's, well, okay, so here's what the reading says. I, John, saw a great, mul- had a vision of a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, race, people, and tongue. They stood before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing their right robe, white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. Uh, right before this, is that really weird? If you're familiar with the book of Revelation at all, you might remember that passage about there were 144,000 people that he sees in heaven. And then, and then like tribes, you can't even count. Well, that's this. That's, that's this, though. Yeah. But, but what's, what's interesting, so... The 144,000, you know, Jehovah's, if you're a Jehovah's 12 Witness. 12 times 12. Well, but if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you think that is the amount of people in heaven, period. That's it. There's 144,000 that make it. that's a really small it. party, dude. It's a really, For eternity? It's a really strange belief. Um, but as you said... If you're a good Jew and you know that that numbers for the Jewish people can be symbolic and represent things, and you understand the Christian tradition, yeah, it's twelve times twelve. So, really, it's one thousand one hundred forty-four thousand represents a thousand people from each of the twelve tribes of Israel. Twelve is always representative in the Bible of the twelve tribes. One thousand. So, number. We've talked about this before on the podcast. Numbers are often more qualitative than quantitative in the Bible, right? Yep. So one thousand. Whenever you see the word one or the number one thousand, it tends. This is going to be a strange way to say it. It tends to represent a lot, a lot of stuff, a lot of people, a lot. Uh, you uh, look like you lot. look like a million bucks. Yeah, it's that kind of a thing. That, yeah. that, that is the idea. So a lot of people from all the twelve tribes. So basically, what it's saying is the twelve tribes will be reunited. What is that? So the thing about Revelation that's beautiful, Revelation is constantly giving you, giving John and giving us different perspectives on the same reality. So John is writing this letter, this vision, to a group of Christians that are suffering profoundly in all of his churches, that are suffering greatly under persecution. And what he's trying to show them, as well as us, is that there's more here than meets the eye. What you see is your suffering. More than meets the the eye. What the reality is, is that Christ has actually conquered this. That's, That's why... 
Paul and Barnabas, for example, in the first reading can go about knowing that people want to kill them. That's why Jesus could know people want to throw me off a cliff because right. he realizes, well, the reality is actually greater than that. That's why Peter, in the reading from last Sunday's reading, can you know be like, we were found worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. That's right. okay because we know the reality is actually greater than what we can see. What we see is people want to beat us up. What's true is that Christ has already fought our battles. Yes. So John has just in Revelation seen this vision of 144,000 people in heaven. And he knows, okay, that represents sort of the 12 tribes all being brought back together. But what does that mean? What does that mean in, in practical, tangible ways? Oh, it's a great multitude from all of these languages and nations and races and peoples and tongues. I'm hearing that God's going to reunite the, twi- the all of Israel, the tribes. What I'm seeing is that actually is really beautiful because these 12 tribes are going to be reunited through all races and all tongues and all peoples and all races. Some of them are the people I thought were my enemies. Some are the people that I thought were my family and my friends and the people who were outsiders. God has brought them all together because they have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. Right. Look at the history of the martyrs through the centuries and the years of the church. Some of them were good, faithful Jews. Some of them were Gentiles. Some of them were Roman centurions. Some of them were Jews in concentration camps. Some of them we're Native Americans. Some of, I mean, the gamut of those who have, as John says, washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb who stand before God's throne. You're like, wow, all of the different kinds and races and tongues and types of people who we're hopefully going to stand with someday in heaven and be like, whoa, I had no idea it was this big, this right. This diverse, this this is true diversity, right? Real diversity. That's what the Catholic Church offers us. You know, I've been uh, in my meditation when the holy, holy, holy is going on in mass. I, I keep imagining all of this happening. And do you really? Uh, yeah, that's and w- beautiful. And what I and actually I look at the congregation and then I mean like you know four hundred at the max at, at our at our church. Yeah. And then, but I imagine like World Youth Days because those are always my big biggest experience of crowds yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how expansive, and then multiply that, and then you add the angels, <laughs> and like it's like it, there's it, a lot of angels, by the way. Absolutely, and so it's like this gigantic party that we cannot even grasp. Yeah, yeah, and like and which so, is which is I hope going to surprise us. You know what I mean? Supplies. Like what if? And I'm not trying to get crazy here, but. What if you, what if, you know, pray to God, we show up in heaven someday and you're like, Judas, you made it. Like, you, did you, did you confess your sin at the last minute and beg God for forgiveness? You're here. Like, you know, what if Judas is in heaven waiting for us because he actually professed his profound sorrow yeah, over his sin? He grieved. What if, I mean, what if Hitler on his deathbed was like, oh, what have I done? God have mercy on me. You know what I mean? Those are the things you're like, mm, not that person, though. There can't be that much mercy. I mean, granted, mercy is always a choice. We have to choose to accept it, right? But what if? I don't know. I'm fascinated by that thought because we hear things like this, and you're like, oh, there's different kinds of people and tongues and nations, but who yeah. are those people who are like, there's no way that they asked for forgiveness. Well, there's I, no way that they could be given mercy. I mean, even as you're talking, I mean, like in my heart, I'm like, dude, I want some justice. Right, and there is justice, and that, that, the Catholic Church is very specific. We can't, we can't write off justice. God is just, and there is punishment. This is why purgatory makes sense, but purgatory is not hell. 
right? Right. There is justice, but there's also mercy. And thanks be to God for the teaching of purgatory, because it's where justice and mercy meet. Right. And it makes sense. But I'm fascinated by what we're going to find. And that, you know, honestly, I think that is a perfect lead into the gospel, which is very short. But Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They know me and I follow. I know them and they follow me. Who are his sheep? The ones that hear his voice. Could that be Gentiles? Which means that they, they get his podcast. That's right. Jesus and Friends, live on EWTN. I don't, I don't know what that means. I want to talk about just for a second the context of this passage because it's so short. But the context that it shows up in, it says, uh, it, so in verse 22, of, so our reading starts in verse 27 of chapter 10. In verse 22, it says it was the Feast of the Dedication. So it, it's Hanukkah. Literally, this is the Feast of Hanukkah. It's winter. Jesus went up to the temple. He's up in Jerusalem for the Feast of Hanukkah. He's celebrating Hanukkah with everybody, right? Right. He's in the Portico of Solomon, where I think it was two weeks ago, uh, Peter and the apostles were getting persecuted. Remember that? Yep. So he's there in the Portico of Solomon. And the Jews, right, this leadership who were out to get him, they gathered around and they asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you were the Christ, tell us plainly. plainly. Are you really him or not? What are you doing? What are you trying to pull, right? And Jesus answered, I told you, and you didn't believe. I said it, and you didn't get it. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. But you don't believe because you do not belong to my sheep. Boom. Hmm. Well, who does? Well, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me when Hmm. I call. Jesus, they basically ask him, are you the Christ? Are you the figure who's going to be claiming to be the king? Are you the one who's going to take political power? Jesus blows their question out of the water and says, yeah, yeah, not only, that's really not the issue whether I'm the Christ. I am one with the Father. I am the one the Father sent. My Father who has given my sheep to me, he's greater than all. No one can take them out of my Father's hand. My Father and I are one. It blows their little question. Are you the political leader we've been waiting for? Are you the one who's inciting people to follow you? No, no, no. I'm the second person of the Trinity. You have no idea. And the reason you have no idea is because those who get it recognize my voice. If you don't recognize my voice, that means, and, and this isn't God saying, well, surprise, tricked you. You're not part of the, you're not part of the party. You've hardened yourself. We're, we're able to harden ourselves in such a way that we can deafen ourselves to the Father's voice. We can make ourselves deaf to the voice of the shepherd. That's what these religious leaders have done in Jesus' time. Yeah. He's like, no, no, my sheep know me. They recognize my voice. You're my sheep as well. I mean, that's what's yeah. implicit in these words. Yeah. You, religious leaders, you, Jewish Sanhedrin, you're my sheep as well, but you've gone, gone deaf to my voice. They, yeah, they, you've they, wandered off. You've followed another shepherd. Yeah, they've become deaf shepherd. <laughs> deaf leopard. I get what you did there. <laughs> Absolutely. And because you've deafened yourself, and that, that is a profound sorrow for Jesus. I firmly believe that. Right. Because you've deafened yourself, not just because you've deafened yourself, but surprise, surprise, there's a bunch of other people who you would have never expected. I mean, look at how mad the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin are when Jesus is dining with tax collectors and prostitutes and people who are so distasteful that they say, no, you could never possibly be the father's sheep. Right. But no, they're precisely the ones 
who haven't been hardened, who've heard the voice. Right. And again, I, this is where all these readings just make sense because they're those people in our lives and in our world that we think could never actually hear the Father's voice. Mm. And we become the ones who presume them to be deaf when we actually are in turn making ourselves deaf and, to them. And, and oftentimes we prevent others from being able to even climb the mountain of the Lord. Right. To, to even be able to attune their hearts to being able to hear the voice of the shepherd. Right. Because we judge them unworthy of being able to receive it. Right. And and that's, that's precisely where we have to say, no, there is going to be an untold number of people called from all nations, Gentiles, everybody. There, this right. This is the dragnet. We right. saw that last weekend. Yes. What was the dragnet? It brought in 153. It brought in everybody. Yes. And it was the net was not torn by it. Yes. That's, wow, what a great point. It's bringing in everybody. but Because that, that's the, on some level, that's the fear, right? Well, if you bring in all these people, there's not room, or it's going to rip it, or it's going to destroy it, or it's going to compromise it. Yeah, we're you know, all looking for safety and We're something. all looking for safety, and that's not a bad thing. But there is no safety except for in God. Well, and Christ isn't calling us to safety. He's calling us to glory. Boom. Which is, it's not earthly safety. It's spiritual safety. Yeah. Which is what Paul gets, which is what Barnabas gets, which is what Peter gets, which is what all the apostles who who, who proclaim that we've been found worthy to suffer, that's actually the safest place to possibly be. We're not called to earthly safety. We're called to glory. And I think the final word, we've been reading uh, the old Chronicles of Narnia books to our kids. The Chronicles night. of what? Narnia. Chronicles of not wait, yeah. Chronicles anyway, of, yeah. But there's that line in the original, the line in the witch in the wardrobe, where the Mister and Missus Beaver they're talking to the kids, and they're like, "Well, you're talking about some lion, this Aslan, who is the Christ figure, sort of in the book. What well, is he safe? He's a lion. Lions don't sound safe. Is he safe? And their answer is, no, he's not safe, but he's good. He's not safe, but he's good. And that is what Jesus is trying to show us. Look, this isn't safe." Peter and Paul and Barnabas, they're not going into earthly safety, but they're going into what's good and what's right and what's noble and what's merciful. It's not safe. They're going to get beat up. They're going to get in trouble. They're going to get imprisoned like Peter does in chapter 5, but it's good because that's where the true safety lies when you're willing to put yourself out and be a part of that great multitude, be a part of that multitude who hears the voice of the Father, who becomes the part of the flock, who knows the voice of their shepherd. There's not earthly safety in knowing that voice, but there's profound goodness in it if we're willing to follow, if we have the courage, the coraggio, right, to follow after that. That's where glory lies. And so... Glory be to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. We'll see you guys next week. Yep. Keep it real. You keep it real. Bye-bye. Bye.